Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PhD2B podcast, a podcast where we talk about graduate school. My name is Natalie, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about narrowing down your areas of research. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, so I already told you what the topic of today's episode is going to be, but I didn't tell you who is the other we that's going to be on today's episode. So Dallas is in Mexico doing her thing, living it up. So I drove down to my friend Kayla's and here she is. She's going to be joining me on today's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Kayla. I laughed a lot. Of, I laughed a lot the last time I was on the episode. So we'll see how much I laugh this time. <laughs> I notice I'm a I'm a talker and laugher. It's beautiful. Thank you. I love it. It, it brings joy and energy to the podcast. So Thank I love you. it. So I love it. Okay. So um, I initially had plans to just come down to visit Kayla. And I was like, do you want to record an episode? And so here we are. And then I asked Kayla, I was like, hey, what should the episode be about? And she came up with narrowing down your areas of interest. So why did you come up with that? What is What sort of triggered you wanting to talk about that episode? Or this topic, I should say. Yeah, so I'm actually in the thick of um, studying for my first comprehensive exam, which I had to create a... And, I just want to like address the little barking in the background before we get too much further. That's my dog, Ellie. She's my pride and joy. I love her so much. Um, but if you hear little little yips, that's that's who that is. Um, anyway, I was um, I started to um, I started to oh, I was just in the thick of reading for my comprehensive exam. Um, and this list, my reading list, I had to put together and get approved, et cetera. I think Natalie and Dallas have. Um, talked a little bit about their own comprehensive exam experiences, and that's kind of, um, it's pretty similar. Um, and what I, what's really cool about my list, I love my list, it's just very specific. And I remember being at my, the beginning of my PhD and hearing people talk about their own list, hear, p- hearing people talk about their own areas of research and feeling so overwhelmed of like, how am I ever going to find my thing? How am I going to come into my thing? Um, what what am I even interested in researching, in studying um, however many months for a comprehensive exam? Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I came up with that idea. Um, I think it's because I'm in it right now. And I thought about how much, how far I had come since year one of the PhD and even like year one of my MFA. Um, it's like, I've been in grad school for six years and it's like, holy cow, how did I come here? And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And I really would love to hear Natalie talk about her like area of research too, because every time she mentions a little bit of it on the podcast, and I know, I know about it because I know Natalie, but also like, I just want to hear, I don't know, the entire journey. So that's kind of, I was curious. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is such a, I mean, whenever you're applying to programs in general, specifically PhD, I think one of the biggest things is like, what is your thing? What are you going to focus on? And that's like really daunting, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's also interesting because one of the episodes that will be coming out previous to this one is on statements of purpose. And so Dallas and I, Dallas and I read our statements of purpose on the podcast and just sort of reflecting on like, are we still doing what it is that we say that we did? And like, you know, back in the day when we thought we wanted to pursue this thing. And so, um, it's just really cool to be able to think about how that's kind of changed and progressed and what that looks like. And so, yeah, so let's start from the beginning. So like when you first, if you want to start at the beginning of your PhD or even your master's, because I think that would be a really interesting approach. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you want to, what did you think you wanted to do then? I will be honest. I didn't know. It was funny when I was listening to y'all's one of episode where you're, you talk about like going into your graduate program, kind of at least having an idea of Mm -hmm. what you wanted to do. 
I was one where I literally had no idea what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. And I will be honest, I did not, especially with my master's program. Now my PhD program, I knew what was happening, mm-hmm. what was going mm-hmm. on. But with my master's program, I truly did not know what really my master's program entailed. Um, and I got a master's in creative writing, a master's of fine arts in creative writing. And I, the reason I applied for it was literally, I didn't, I had an idea of like, okay, maybe I could teach writing in college one day. So I guess I had that, but I had no idea what, what stuff I wanted to write, why I even wanted to write other than like, I've always loved it. Like even I've been looking, I'm at my childhood home right now and I've been looking through like old journals and stuff. And I was always like a writer, but I just never had like a direction Mm -hmm. for that. So I was like, grad school writing. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, So it started there. And then when I got into like the program, I realized kind of what it was. And when you're getting an MFA or a PhD in creative writing, essentially what you're doing is you're getting time and space to write. So our coursework is just like, we take creative writing workshops, we write our own work, um, our thesis theses and these whatever the plural of thesis is that's it's so funny that you bring that up because in a couple episodes from this one um we were like is it thesi like like what is so i I I think it's theses but it could be thesis it is it is is. yeah so our theses our dissertations are essentially just like um whatever genre you're writing it's just like a a a book it's a book-length work um so yeah so i knew what that was eventually once I got into the program and kind of figured it out with MFA, I did like a short story collection. Um, the actual theme of it was like theme parks, I guess. Um, I worked at Disney world once. And so mm. all of my stories were set in a theme park, etc. I'll probably never touch that collection again, but it was such a great learning experience of how to write an entire book. I'm really thankful for that. Um, But when I got to my PhD, I actually transitioned over to creative nonfiction um, because looking at statement of purposes, that's kind of funny you mentioned that. When I looked, I looked back at mine like, maybe, I don't even know when, but I just kind of, I pulled it up one day and read it and I was writing a statement of purpose for fiction, but it was all, it was basically creative. It was a creative nonfiction, like statement of purpose. I kept saying, I want to write fiction, like to get to the truth of my experiences. Mm. I'm like, Kayla, that's just creative nonfiction. And I ended up there. Like I am getting my PhD in in creative nonfiction. That's my genre now. So, um, I'm writing and I didn't, other than that though, like for my PhD, I didn't know what I wanted to like study outside of it. Um, I didn't know even like my next project, like what my dissertation would be. All I knew, I was like, okay, I'm going to try creative nonfiction because that's what I'm being drawn to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I guess another thing with, because of I'm getting a PhD in English with like a creative writing concentration, what we have to do for our degree program, like our comprehensive exams is one exam is just in like your primary area of like research or like study. And so for that for us, it's just our genre. It's like a, like a overview study of like creative nonfiction or fiction or poetry. So for that exam and book list, I kind of know, I am actually starting to put it together right now. I'm doing my literature exam first. I kind of know what it's going to be. It's going to be more of a general kind of like exploration of creative nonfiction in general, but we have to, because we're getting a PhD in English, um, we have to choose a secondary area of research to take exams in. And so um, a lot of creative writers, they might do another genre of creative writing. Um, So they'll have like two creative comp exams. Um, Some do film, um, some do composition and rhetoric. Um, Some even do like like a, a person in our program, I think their secondary area um, was in like art history or something. Um, but a very, very common one is literature. And I decided to choose literature um, because for me, I feel like going into the job market, I feel like hopefully, I hopefully will be like a triple threat is what I hope. Like I hope They'll see that I can teach creative writing. I've taught composition before. 
Um, so I would, I mean, I would teach first year writing for the rest of my life if, if that's how that happened. Um, and then I would love to, you know, teach literature. Basically, I just wanted to almost have like a general English experience, mm-hmm. I guess. So I chose literature. But then I was, you have to choose like an area because you can't just have an exam that's like literature because there's just so much. It's like, where do you go? Mm -hmm. You have to have some sort of focus. Um, So I guess that's where my journey really started. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you want to keep, do you want me to keep like rambling on? Because it's like a long story. You're not not rambling. Okay, that's good. It's like, it's a long story, but it's also not. It's basically just like, I guess like with, this is what I hope that people feel encouraged by when Mm -hmm. they come away from this episode is that, yes, I, you should have like a general purpose coming into grad school because Mm -hmm. why go to grad school? Mm -hmm. But you can still find your way of like what you love or passionate Mm -hmm. about in what you want to study or what you like I don't know like you don't have to know it from the very get-go there are many people who do Mm -hmm. um who have like I'm going to do this study this x y or z whatever and then I think there's a lot more than you think that are just kind of like okay this is what (laughs) This is what I want to study. Ellie just loves to talk too. She Love wants it. to be on the podcast. We need to put her in the name like of the podcast. Oh my gosh, she would that with be great. an Ellie cameo. Oh yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah. I guess should I just like talk about like because how mine started is basically like I figured out what I like to write about yeah. in my own creative work. And then from there, that's how I kind of found what I was interested in, in terms of literature. So, yeah, yeah. So, so let me sort of take a step back. So Mm -hmm. you go into the program, you kind of have a general idea, maybe didn't have a general idea. You knew that you liked writing. I mean, I think that, that that was at least like a good starting point. Right. And so you, you primarily go through the program and I think the master's program is such a huge learning experience just to how to be a grad student period yes. and so and you you get to know like what the field's like and and what people like want you to produce and stuff like that but then you get into the phd and you came to the realization that nonfiction, creative writing nonfiction, was your thing yes and so you said that in your statement of purpose you mentioned that you wanted to get to the bottom of like your experiences and whatnot so obviously nonfiction is a way to go about doing that yes so that's good but then i think and this is maybe where you're probably headed with what you were going to continue talking about like how did you know what specifically to explore yeah because i think if you're trying to get to the bottom of your experiences and you're using writing specifically the genre of nonfiction to be that vessel what specifically did you want to focus on and how that narrows down your area of research how did you get to that point yeah oh that's a great question um I think really just like with creative writing especially because it's just like you I don't this sounds so woo-woo-y but like whenever (laughs) I sit down it's like I just like sometimes things are slog to get started like a piece like say I'm actually writing a piece right now that's like and this will eventually lead into what I like to write about especially right now because I think this will change and grow as I get older and with my whole life but right now I'm really interested in focusing on my experience with athletics and sports Mm -hmm. and recreation because that's a big part of my past identity and who I was and am Mm -hmm. Um, so right now I'm writing like uh, essay about volleyball specifically hugs <laughs> I, I don't love know that this, thank you I love that I think I came to this idea because I saw a funny tweet like a couple of weeks ago that was like I was researching something about the 2021 like Tokyo Olympic team and there was a tweet attached to it that was like are volleyball players just in it for the hugs because it is <laughs> a beautiful. thing where after every single point win or lose you come together in the middle um, and like tap your teammates backs basically and it looks like a giant group hug every single time like i love that and i don't even think about it like 
And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to write this essay exploring not only that, but also my experience. Like, I'm not a hugger. Like, that's basically what I'm exploring. It's just a tiny, I want it to be kind of a fun, like, essay that might get into, like, deeper stuff. Um, But yeah, so it starts, so whenever I say, like, getting to the root of, like, my experience, the truth of my experiences what really helped me was just like being in creative nonfiction classes and reading creative nonfiction and like seeing what the genre actually was because what I thought it was like the reason shout out to my mom my mom has always told me she's like I think you write like true stuff better like creative mm-hmm. she didn't have the word for creative nonfiction but I always like I, I grew up not grew up I, I had a blog in like my early 20s um where I wrote constantly and my mom loved reading my blog and she was like you're good at just writing about real life yeah but growing into grad school I was like no no I can't do that I want to do fiction because I had no idea it was even a genre to really study and explore Mm -hmm. and so being in just creative nonfiction classes just opened me up to the genre and how like experimental it can be how like very like specific and like like niche is that the is it niche or i think it's niche niche. okay Mm -hmm. cool how very niche like you can like you can write a whole book like say you're interested in grasshoppers and you can just explore grasshoppers for a whole book and like really pull out like grasshopper metaphors and and whatnot like there's so much you can do with creative nonfiction with any genre honestly because genre in a way is just like a construct you can do whatever you want with whatever exactly um but i had just no idea what i thought what creative nonfiction was was just like and this will lead into like my interest was Mm -hmm. like i grew up reading athlete autobiographies and memoirs um or like journalism which is you like i could write that if i wanted to like there's like more literary journalism you can like really um get into but yeah i think just like being in classes, reading a ton of CNF, and then writing a ton of it and figuring out, oh, I like writing, I like doing this. It's kind of like, I think what I like to do is like start with a very like specific image or idea. So like with the volleyball hugs, it's literally, I came across that tweet and then realized like I didn't think that was weird and that's kind of funny. It's like I'm part of like a subculture, or at least I was, because um, that's what I played way back when was volleyball. But and kind of going with like, okay, what can I actually mine out of this? Like, what other meaning other than just like, hey, that's funny that volleyball players hug. What else can this say about me or about about like society or whatever? Yeah. So, yeah. I love all of this. Thank this you. This is so cool. <laughs> I think there are so many things that I like want to bring attention to from what you just said. I think if I could make a very blanket statement, mm-hmm. like I feel like, the thing that you not just you Kayla but like all of us that we end up wanting to research it ends up boiling down to our who we are as people absolutely yes because like it's 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 such a fascinating thing to think about because it's like this is all like I feel like you writing what you're doing and everything you're studying for your dissertation and, and and whatnot like I feel like this has always just been a part of who you are yes and I think what I'm coming to the conclusion is, is that you have to realize that that is a legitimate form yes, of meaning making, of something to be able to speak on. 1,000%. And it, when you get to that point, it, you realize all of my experiences are legit. Yes. They're truth. They're worth studying. They're worth saying something about either myself, my family, my culture, my whatever. And I think that that's where a lot of people struggle with because a lot of people think I need to focus on this because this is what's hot or this is what people have said is legitimate. Whereas a lot of the times it just boils down to no, my experiences and what I like. If I wanted to write a whole dissertation on Barbie. Oh my gosh, that'd be the... But like if I wanted to write a whole dissertation on Barbie, like that would tie back to, okay, what did that say about my childhood? What did that say about my socioeconomic status? What did that say about, like, I had hand-me-down Barbies from, like, the rich kids that my dad used to work for, you know? So it's like, 
that's ultimately what I feel like you're getting at. What your interests are, they have some sort of connection to you. Yes. And you have to come to that realization that's like, oh, now I can use creative writing nonfiction or creative nonfiction. I keep adding writing oh, in there. okay. Is the venue to which it's shown me that these things are legit, legitimate and they can be talked about in academia. Absolutely. And like, that's, I think that's like with fiction, how I ended up like writing about what I love to write about right now in creative nonfiction. I always tried to write about like sports and fiction, which people do and people do well and one it's great but I always had like the workshop audience in my my brain and like I always like was worried like what if I have a story about a girl who plays volleyball and like her whole identity is tied up in volleyball and like someone in the workshop is like well I don't get this it's just volleyball who cares and I was just always aware that never happened this was me stopping myself mm -hmm. but it's like that expectation of like what is worthy to write about exactly um where with creative nonfiction, what's so I love for me what was so like what opened my world up I guess was that with creative nonfiction, yes, you're limited to your own experiences, but in a way that is like total freedom because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, all I have to go off of are my own experiences. I'm going to write about volleyball. I'm going to write about like my identity with like sports and stuff because that was me. That is me. Mm -hmm. Like growing up, that's all I did and talked about, like going back to my old journals, um, and I found like a couple of days ago, like I had a whole entries, just like, I love volleyball so much. I was like in seventh grade, like that is all I thought about all the time. And maybe it, it, I could have written about it in fiction, but like, I was just so worried that it's like, well, that's, people don't write about that in literary fiction. I have to write about like something that whatever. And it, I did default to like my own experience. I did like theme parks, but then even then, I was taking to theme parks in a more critical way, which should be, a th I think I found some cool scholars on Twitter that like look at Disney like theme parks in like a cool critical way. And I would love to like read more of their work. But for me, like I'm a Disney adult, like that's my happy place. I didn't really necessarily want to look at it in a critical eye, which again, I think you should like, you know, critically think about your world around you. But like I was just writing that I think to like be like the edgy fiction person I thought I was supposed to be you know what I mean instead of like really just like being good with how I actually experience the world yeah it sounds like maybe you were doing it in such a way that's like this is still a me mm -hmm. but like I want to also separate that a little bit mm -hmm. and because I'm kind of worried that I mean, you put yourself in a place of vulnerability when you talk about yourself. Yes. Right. And so I think that maybe fiction was a way that you could still like say, it's like, I kind of know what this is like. And so I'm going to use that knowledge to sort of shape this thing. Yes. But I also am not putting myself entirely in it because that's not what the genre is asking. And, exactly. if, and if it is asking that of me, then I'm putting myself in a very vulnerable state. Might as well turn into nonfiction where I can have that freedom, like you said earlier. Yes. And have that like there's such a freedom in just owning like, yeah, this is what I, this is what I experienced. This is what I am. Um, and like the workshop audience, I mentioned the workshop audience a lot, like in create in academia and creative writing, you go to the workshop and you get feedback from your peers basically. And it is so very hard not to write with the workshop in mind. I try, I've gotten a lot better at that. Um, but it's still hard. Like even I'm out of workshops, I think I'll always have a little bit of the workshop like voice in my head. Um, but because it's just like you, it's just like bearing yourself to the workshop audience. So like, yeah, this is me. And it's, it's nice. I don't know. But yeah, so that's kind of how like fiction turned to creative nonfiction for me, how I felt like it was, I don't know, just a it's just a better fit for me because I, I know some wonderfully talented fiction writers and I love reading their fiction. Um, but there is something about creative nonfiction that just feels so right for me specifically. And especially, so once my first workshop that I was in in my PhD, I was struggling kind of finding my footing a little bit. It's like, what do I write about? I have all my experiences to mine from, what do I write about? And I ended up just, I think like the breakthrough moment for me was writing a piece about volleyball and how it was, it completely 
was my identity and consumed my identity for so long of my life. Um, I played volleyball all through college. I was a college athlete at a division two school in Southwestern Oklahoma at Swasu, Southwestern Oklahoma State University. Go dogs. I have to do that every time I say that. <laughs> but it would just consume, it was my whole life. And I wanted to write, I decided just to write an essay that kind of explores how it like wrapped up, like my whole identity was wrapped up in, in it in good and bad ways. Um, and I ended up like the, the piece wasn't like an amazing piece or like a knockout piece or anything, but it felt so right. It felt, it came so easily to me. So I was like, oh, I could explore this. And for me, sports truly does, ha- especially in my younger years, but even now, touches my entire life and t- like I can look at my life through that lens because of who my family is um, I'm the granddaughter and daughter of like from both sides of the family from football coaches um, I played like growing up like that's just what I did that's obviously how I found like who I was and how I owned my like identity growing up and so I was like I could just write this could be a whole book um and I that's what I'm kind of working on right now so that's in my creative side and that bleeds into the other stuff maybe we should take maybe I want to hear about your experience a little bit maybe then I then we could like talk about more specifically because like where my research is is more of just an exam area yours is like dissertation like your your big because my creative stuff, that's like my big quote unquote, like dissertation topic. Mm-hmm. But like yours is, yeah. Yeah. So man, mine's kind of interesting. So like kind of going back to how we started with your conversation, like I did my master's as many of you know, in literature. And I thought I liked literature because I read Frank. I mean, I did like literature at the, at the time. I mean, I did my bachelor's in it. And so um, I enjoyed like, we read Frankenstein and like that, just like the, the, the opportunity to like critically think through everything that that book is, is saying and doing is just so fascinating. And so when I went into my master's, it was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so very quickly I found out that this is not what I want to do. <laughs> um, and so that was really hard. Cause I thought I was like, well, I'm going to quit. Like if this isn't really what I wanted to Can do, I ask something? Yeah. what made you feel that? Like, like this yeah. is not for me. Um, I think honestly, I think part of it was just like the rigor of what was being expected of me, which just kind of sounds like a little bit of a cop out because like, you know, and, and granted I was in classes with PhD students and I might've been a little bit harder on myself. I will say that, mm-hmm. but I think coupling those feelings of being in class and just not enjoying the readings, not understanding the readings, which I later found out is um, these readings were not written for people like me. Yeah. So that obviously like was a huge turnoff. And what I mean by that is like, you know, these white authors tend mm-hmm. to write with wild, white male authors in mind and, and I'm not any of those things. And so the language um, obviously had a huge impact on how I read it and was unable to read it. And so it just became such an uncomfortable thing. I did not find joy in it mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but then coupling that with teaching for the first time and just really enjoying the teaching. And I felt like I was getting the affirmation that I wanted and needed and I felt like I was good at it. And so I think those two things working hand in hand, like working side by side, that realization, I just realized I was not where I needed to be. And so that quickly helped me sort of figure out that narrowing down that area of interest. And Mm -hmm. so then I went into a PhD and I was like, I'm going to do composition rhetoric. I have no doubt in my mind that that's where I need to be. And so I, that's what I'm doing. Um, And then the first couple of years, like I, I went into the PhD saying like, I want to be a writing program administrator, writing center director. I still want to do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, in that in itself is an area of focus within the field. And so the reason why I wanted to do that was because I just, there's, I just have so many thoughts and ideas of what I think should be taught in writing classes, how writing center sessions should be conducted. And part of that I learned from the writing center directors, the WPAs in my life and just what they've done and the work that they're doing. And, and so I became very sort of, 
I want to be in that position as well. And um, I remember when I was um, thinking about doing a PhD, I was talking to a couple people in the writing center and I was like, if I'm going to pursue a PhD, I'm going to be a WPA. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go all the way to the highest level of that part of the field, like as far as like directing a program goes. And so like, I kind of already knew that. And so when I went into the PhD, that hasn't changed at all. Um, and so that's a really great feeling. I think it, some of us like maybe find it a little bit earlier or no, but then even within the field of, or even within the focus of writing center or WPA, there's still a focus that you can get into. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now as I'm in the process of writing my dissertation. So it's funny because I was approached to do a, I was offered an opportunity to publish for a book that's going to come out maybe next year. Oh, I can't wait. Maybe, hopefully. I can't wait. Um, and I was like thinking, I'm like, you know, I, I think I could write something about this. And so I'm writing about what's basically written. I just have to go back and do some kind of difficult revisions, but it's okay. It'll get worked out. Um, about how my faith growth identity like aligned with the writing center and how the writing center sort of helped me with that, how Kayla helped me with that too. She's a part of that as well. And so it was just something like, it's such a cool thing to explore Mm -hmm. and like all the sort of intricacies of that. And what's funny is that when I got offered that opportunity, it was as I was taking an autoethnography class And honestly, I think the class that's had the most impact on me has been that class because it does exactly what you've been saying, Kayla. It focuses in on a specific experience and it makes a claim. It makes an argument about what this says about the larger culture. Mm -hmm. And that to me, it allowed me to really think about how my experiences say something. And when I came to that realization, I remember we were in class one day in that autoethnography class and my professor, somebody said something and my professor's like, gee, don't you think, how interesting is it that we actually enjoy writing when we write about ourselves? Yeah. And it was so cool because it, like, I came to that realization that like, this is fun. And so when I was writing this autoethnography for I I got to double dip. I got to write it for the class and also for the book. And so like I had an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, And so I think autoethnography really allowed me to kind of make that connection to say, I can talk about my experiences. And I felt kind of like you, like you find a comfort and a Mm -hmm. freedom in like, I can talk about these things, which I think is so funny because a lot of the times when we, uh, and you've, ex- I know you guys experience this in, in creative writing, specifically in fiction, mm-hmm. you, it's very difficult and it could be even unethical to write from a position about someone that you are not moderately, yes. like even to some extent connected to. Yes. The same goes in rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what like earlier when I was making the sort of the assumption that like everything kind of ties back to you. And if you, it ties back to you, then you, it's easier for you to write about yourself or about your experiences. Maybe you're writing even about a family member. Like that's a little bit more of an easier connection than to write about someone like a character, create a character that is totally not like you Mm -hmm. or write about a population of students. You have no experience being like, and so I think autoethnography really allowed me to do that and just talk about narrative. And it's funny because as I've kind of been working um, since then that was, I took that class a year, almost a year and a half ago. I've been thinking like, I really like storytelling, yeah. <laughs> but like to more like reflect on like what I've learned and, and let that be a thing. Like not even like right storytelling, like in a fiction mm-hmm. type of way, more of like, this is what I've learned. And so I'm going to tell you the story of what I've learned. And so that's really, I feel like what's been my interest. Like, I feel like that's how I've been able to narrow down my interests. And so now for my dissertation, which is funny because I'm, it's really stressing me out and I'm kind of having some difficulties with it. And so I might have to kind of go back and narrow it in, but I also think I want to include more of like my, my Latina identity mm-hmm. into my work because 
that's also had a huge part in my growth and the way that I view myself. And so um, my dissertation as it stands right now before I make changes <laughs> is like how my faith identity has appeared in my tutoring, in my teaching, in my administrative roles, which I'll be stepping into next this fall. Um, and like what that says about academia, what does that say about my experiences? What does that say about being Mexican American and like being able to speak on all of that and never in a million years would I have thought that I would be speaking about my faith because I didn't have my faith when I started the program. I mean, I, I considered myself Catholic, but I wasn't actually practicing. So it's like, now I'm looking and seeing, okay, now that's a huge part of my life. I also would not have talked about my Latin Mexican-American identity either mm -hmm. because I thought that it didn't matter. And now I know that it does and that it's shaped my entire, not only like my life because yeah. that it's literally my life, but like my academic career, even my faith to some extent, which I, I don't know if I'm going to go that route with my dissertation, but a lot of the reasons why Mexicans specifically are Catholic is because um, an appearance of Mary to the indigenous peoples of Mexico and that converted millions of people. And so like, I think back to like why I'm Catholic is probably because of that conversion. And so like, how is my faith not then tied to my Mexican identity? And mm -hmm. so that's all me. And I really would have never thought to have gone that way. And my narrowing of my interests would be that because that still has to do with writing programs. Yeah. That still has to do with uh, teaching writing, how I teach writing, how I had, uh, how I think about the students in my classroom. But that's how I've been able to find comfort and freedom. Again, I would have never imagined myself doing that. And I think a lot of what grad school is, and then I'll stop talking. No, don't. This is great. <laughs> I think a lot of I think a lot of what grad school is is also just learning and growing in yourself. And even though academia has many issues. I think that there's something still very beautiful about the process because it gets you to know yourself better. Absolutely. Because I think you're also like, I was thinking about this the other day on a walk, like I was, because I'm reading so much right now and because I'm reading so much, I'm thinking so much. And so I think grad school, you're just forced to think all the time. And that kind of like bleeds into your quote unquote normal life too. And so you do think about yourself, about your position in the world, what webs you're caught in. Um, I, I think of, um, I took Dr. Sakari's like environmental writing oh, class. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and like, there, I, I, I have a hard time unless I'm like active, like reading stuff all the time, like retaining stuff. But I remember like Donna Haraway and like the webbiness of everything, I guess is what like, I took away from that. How we're all caught up in like different, like, structures, et cetera, like our connections to people, everything in our environment, whatever. But like, for me, like grad school has, has made me think about my own positioning, my own webbing, like what I'm, what web I'm caught up in and like, which, I don't know, which strands and et cetera, like what, um, whenever I move, what, what little web is quivering? I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I think like just being in grad school, like it does like lend itself to personal growth because you're just always thinking. And when you always think that obviously applies to yourself because you're always like thinking happens in your own brain, in your own mind. So you can't like, you can't get yourself away from all the thinking you're doing. Like even if like with a class, um, like if you think a class doesn't apply to you at all, like you're still, you're the one who's like, thinking through the stuff you're learning and yeah that's so cool I got goosebumps while you were talking about your own like research and stuff and I hope this I truly I know I, I have no doubt like I bet this will be a book one day and I can't wait to read it <laughs> it'll be amazing thank uh, you yeah I I if you're if you're a rhetoric person and you're listening to this and you um, salt of the earth by James Chase Sanchez, it's an academic book, but it uses autoethnography and it talks about his experiences with being of mixed race and in a small town that's very racist and just all these types of things. And so I want to write a book like that, that's awesome. not necessarily on like racial, but more like 
similar things about identity and whatnot. And and he talks a little bit about faith in there, but mine obviously would be more. And so I would love to have this look like a book one day. I don't know what it would look like, but it would have a really beautiful cover. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I like thinking about covers. Covers are important. Yes. It's rhetorical. So, oh yeah. Um, I have many thoughts. Please. About covers for oh. my reading list. I I talked to my mom the other day. Like I hold up different books. I'm like, look at this cover. Like, wouldn't it be better if this was it? Anyway, I lo- that's rhetorical. I love yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, I think a, I think if you're beating yourself up over what you're going to focus in on, I think you will figure it. I mean, everybody does, you know. But I think if you're like really in the beginning stages, like thinking about what connections do I have to the interests that I do? Because a lot of people are not going to write about their personal experiences like mm-hmm. we are. Um, but I even think about Dallas, like Dallas is in literature and she focuses on disability studies. And even though she writes about um, uh, depictions of disabled uh, peoples in, in or as characters and themes and whatnot, and maybe structures that are maybe ableist in um, the stories that she's reading and the, you know, those types of things, it still boils down back to the fact that her brother has a disability. So it's mm-hmm. like, even if you're not writing about yourself, I bet you there is some sort of connection yes. to what it is that you're doing. Um, I have a friend who she's in her master's of biology and she's focusing really big on like breast cancer genes and all those types of things. You know, there could even be a personal connection there. I know a lot of people become doctors, you know, because they want to help people that help. You know, it's like you. there is some sort of strand or connection to why it is that you're doing what you're doing, even if you're not ending up writing about yourself. Yeah. Even if you just think something is cool. Like, yeah. And why do you think it's cool? Yeah. Like maybe you saw a movie that really moved you when you were a kid and that stuck with you all the way through. And like even that simple connection, it doesn't have to be as deep as like faith or, you know, (laughs) athletics or whatnot. But like that connection there is enough for you to say like, that's my thing and that's what I want to research and that's legitimate. And it's still saying something. Exactly. Because like if you think about our world, it's it holds all of these things, even if we think they're quote unquote silly or not like no like they're not first of all silly is such a silly word because (laughs) it's just a label on something like we only think things are silly because i don't know we decided as as people that something's silly something silly could not be like it could be seriously studied even if you just study the silliness of the silly thing whatever it is exactly like it's still like i don't know i think that's what the coolest thing like i would never have guessed like at the beginning of my master's like how cool academia can be in that sense. Like you are just literally learning as much as you can on something that seems small and maybe it is small in the context of our world because you know our world holds everything that's ever been in the world. But like it's still, even that small little sub, whatever you're looking at, like is still saying something about about something. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of the word silly and something. And, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think it just boils down to the fact that saying that everything has a purpose, mm-hmm. everything has a purpose, everything has meaning, mm-hmm. you know, like even we both have Stanleys on our table. <laughs> yes. We're Stan- we're Stanley girls. Yes. Um, but like even, even that's like rhetorical. That even would be that- such an interest. I'm just oh. thinking of like the study because like Stanley culture. These, yeah. How did these things get popular? I mean, I had passed to do with like influencer like marketing for sure but it's also like a great product like i love my stanley you know like everything that it does and it comes in so many different colors but like it's but it but but even that's such a good example of like people think these are silly like Mm -hmm. hey i i'm I'm gonna go there a lot of people associate stanley's with women absolutely and college women more specifically or just women in general and like the obsession that women have over things is an area of study like it seems to be a very feminine thing like girl that right there is a whole thing that you could study someone write a dissertation on that we're just giving it to you 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 can have it (laughs) honestly that'd be so interesting so but you're exactly right you're exactly right about that like some these things have purpose everything has a purpose even big or small it still has a purpose it still says something about our society it's mm-hmm. something about who we are it says something about if it's written in a book let's say somebody wrote a book and there was a stanley in there and that tends to be like a focus of the book i don't i don't mm-hmm. know short story 
what did that say about the culture that it came out of? Yep. Who had an impact in, 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 in having that person write that Stanley into a short story or a book? Like, oh. I'm telling you, like, you can really, and this is very encouraging, hopefully, because you can literally write about anything. Yes. And it's going to have an impact. And if somebody tells you that's it's not legitimate, let me tell you, they're wrong. Mm -hmm because you can literally write about anything and it has a purpose and it says something about a larger culture. And so really when you're narrowing down your area of interest, first of all, it's going to take time. Yes, it will take time. And Sec I can, in a minute, yes. I'll tell you how long this, like my exam list kind of took. But yeah, anyway, yeah, no, 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 please. Uh, so I'll just end on this and then we can move on to that because I think that that's really important. But um, you're narrowing down a very of research is going to be something that you figure out as time goes on. It's something that you're going to use academia and those classes and the and your mentors to teach you how to get to that point and help you to see and affirm that what you're interested in matters. And so please let us know about your exam list. Yeah. Okay. So my exam list, um, like I said, this is not like I'm not writing a dissertation on this. However, I can definitely see just by reading, like I think I'll definitely be influenced as I write now, which is cool. Um, but how I kind of got to this, it, it started from my major, like my, what I like to write for creative nonfiction, which is sports. And so I literally, like this was year one of the PhD because I knew I had, I had this in the back of my mind. I had to have like a secondary area. So I was like, maybe I could do like a list about just sports literature. And it just stopped there at first. And that was a lot of me just literally Googling like sports fiction, poetry about sports, obviously like memoirs and autobiographies written by people who play sports, including celebrity athletes. But honestly, I wasn't including them very much. I was like, because I truly thought like, oh, I don't, I, I thought it was silly, quote unquote silly. Like, why would I read stuff by a celebrity athlete? Because those books are like, they're weird products in themselves, and I, I don't want to get into that. So it's just started with sports. Then I don't know when the switch, like the, like I think I just like, I think it just took a lot of me just like thinking about myself and like giving myself permission and realizing like, no something like even I think this is interesting, so it, I I could have something to say about it, or I could have thoughts about it. So I think it just took a lot of reflecting of it to, you know, write my own stuff. Like, how did I, what did I like as a, as a kid even? And I, in my high school years, I almost exclusively, like truly, I didn't read much fiction or just like other stuff. I almost exclusively read like athlete autobiographies. Um, big titles that come to mind are both of Michael Phelps's books. I was obsessed with Michael Phelps. I read his books multiple times. Um, Rafael Nadal, because the, the tennis player, I, I love, I still love him. Um, I loved his book, Apollo Ono's book, um, Pat Summit's book, um, this football player. And I don't know if I'm saying his name right to honey Jones. It was, that was a really cool book. I don't remember the title of it, but basically it was like his life post football, how he traveled, he hosted a travel channel, um, like a uh, travel channel, like show and about like playing different sports in different countries and stuff. It was a cool memoir. I think it's called the Sportsman or something. I don't really know. Um, Anyway, I was obsessed with these kinds of books when I was in high school because I wanted to be an athlete myself at the beginning of my um, career, like my freshman year. That was before I was like, I, I, I didn't really like when you go into a sport and you look to play sports in college, you have to kind of be realistic with your own abilities and stuff. But this was back when I was dreaming big. So I was literally reading these like books thinking this might be my future one day as a professional athlete. Um, and I still, even when I like that, I was like, okay, no, I'm not going to be a professional athlete one day. I'm going to play at a division two university, whatever. I was still obsessed with these books. And so I started thinking like, Maybe I could do a study because it works with a memoir and ath like autobiography, which is what I'm writing. Maybe I could do a study of sports autobiographies. So once I kind of started just looking like this is a lot of Googling, too. I'm Googling literally like top 100 sports autobiographies, like literally just like very basic stuff, not going into like what's written about it, whatever. I see what kind of titles that pop up. 
And then I'm like, okay, is something has something been written on sports autobiographies? That led me to a book called, um, let's see what it's called. It's like, uh, what is it called? Hold on, I got my list here. I just read, oh, Sporting Lives, Metaphor, Myth, and American Sports Autobiographies by James W. Pipkin. I think he was at the University of Houston, actually. I don't know. Last time I looked. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, so this was a book published in 2008, and it's really, from what, again, I I can gather, it's the only, like, full-length work written, like, in literature, like, critically looking at sports autobiographies and what he's doing is literally just like um he's like mapping like the trends and the themes and the motifs that are in sports autobiographies and what that means says about our culture like what we are um what we are obsessed with as like an american culture basically so i started reading this book not very intensely i just kind of wanted to get like a sense of like okay who is he citing whatever and as i was reading this book I just noticed there wasn't a lot of like female athletes like being cited and I was, which he does like focus on a little bit in like the, the chapter about the body, um, a little bit about, which is interesting. It is very interesting. (laughs) Um, he focuses more on female athletes there, but most of his examples, it was funny too. Most of his examples seem to be baseball autobiographies as well. So it's kind of like, you kind of get a sense of like, okay, he's a baseball fan, like, which is totally cool. Um, but I was like, what about, what about female, like female athlete autobiographies or autobiographies by women athletes? I was like, what about, has anyone done that? And there has been like some more recent like articles and stuff focusing more on that, that actually cite, um, Pipkin's book and kind of like talks about that gap. Mm. Um, so I was like, what if I just do that? That would be cool. And so that, once I kind of had that, like, okay, my primary texts are going to be um, athletes written, or <laughs> athletes written by women, but female athletes who write autobiographies, mm-hmm. and, and including like celebrity athletes who have like, who have like the ghost written or like the co-authored books, whatever it might be. Like the, the books that become really popular post-Olympics, et cetera. Cause I, I completely included those. Like that's what most of my like primary list is. Then I had to think, and this is where help from professors really came from. Like I, I went to, who's a chair of my um, exam at Dr. Greb Gelch, who's wonderful. And I kind of had this idea and that's when she started helping me think through like critical text or like theoretical text that would help me read these books. And so that's where I have like, theories of autobiography I have like uh, articles about authorship and autobiography because of so many of these books are co-authored um like I have a ton of under the heading it just says sports but under sports it's like gender race culture autobiography anything that has to do with sports culture like intersectional like studies when it comes to like or like even cultural studies of sports And then I do have like books about the body and like feminist theory and specifically feminist theory, like applied to the body. And that's kind of like that, that went through a lot of like revision though, too, because I started off with like theories of genre and stuff. And I just like, I think, um, someone gave me the advice. I don't know who it was. Maybe Mark, maybe Dr. Grubgeld. Mark is our, our friend who is also on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Um, I think it was like, if you were going to teach a, teach a class over this topic, what would, what would the secondary text, like, what would you think your students needed to read before, you know, Mm -hmm. reading stuff or while reading like the primary text. Mm -hmm. And so that all, that was literally three, it wasn't three years of solid work of like thinking through this list, but it was three years of like, I probably narrowed down my, like to last summer, I think, maybe a couple summers ago, I don't know. It was three years though of thinking about, okay, what, what do I need on this? And what am I interested in? And yeah, I, that was a long-winded answer, but no. I think like it, I hope that illustrates like you're not going to have the perfect list or the perfect topic the minute you walk in or think even think of it like even in your light bulb moment is going to take a while to refine it but honestly the refining 
like last summer is when I started really sitting down and trying to make this list. And when I, cause I started getting feedback on it in the fall. Um, and it was so much fun to, I did, wasn't even reading a lot. Like I would skim stuff and I would like, you know, read abstracts, et cetera. I would try to get a good sense of like, okay, what is this thing saying? But it was so fun to just sit in a coffee shop and I just Googled the heck out of titles and like read reviews on the titles and read little snippets of the titles if I could, um, trying to like figure out, oh, would this be helpful for me? And this, would this be like helpful? I don't know, yeah. Yeah, I think um, one thing that maybe we can end on this uh, or we can keep talking, whatever you, whatever you feel, Kayla. Whatever um, you feel, Natalie. <laughs> I think one thing that is really important um, to emphasize, and this is probably thanks to the graduate sort of the way the system and the way that the structure works, but how you needed uh, help to kind of help you narrow down. Like it's not just something that you do because I feel like if you try to do it all by yourself, it's going to be a very daunting task. Um but you mentioned either Dr. Grubgeld, I'm sure Mark helped you and, you know, other, other friends and other, other things, um, that are part of the graduate program that helped you narrow down your areas of interest. I mean, like sort of like what I told you as far as like, I took that class and that helped me narrow Mm -hmm. down. Um, I even wrote a paper, um, the paper that I presented at the conference. Um, I wrote that paper and that made me start thinking about my identity specifically as like a bilingual composition instructor. So noticing, I could talk about first year composition instructors all day, but then notice how I'm narrowing down by specifically focusing on this identity. You're kind of doing the same thing when you're working and you're creating projects for professors or meeting with them for your, you know, uh, ahead of your dissertation or even just like specifically to your exams having that help to to help you narrow down your areas of interest are going to have a huge role mm-hmm. in in that so get that help use your mentors go to the people who know about you and about the topic and your friends and go to them and people who have done this before how did they narrow it down so get as much help this is something that you do collaboratively. It's not something that you just do by yourself because it's hard if you do it by yourself. Yes, yes. And like having just, even just casual conversations about what you're thinking because people might be like, oh, have you thought about this or this or that? And that's just, and it's also so helpful. Like this podcast has been really cool because I've been articulating. I, this is the first time where I've sat down and talked for yeah. I don't know how long, but have articulated like all of this, like, through beginning to end because it's like you know the you've lived the pieces but i don't know it's kind of cool to see how things do narrow down also narrowing down like there it there's a reason why it's narrowed down don't you will feel overwhelmed (laughs) there's no way that you can like cover everything no. if that makes sense like, like, oh that's a great way of thinking about that yes yeah like, continue yeah to narrow down is making like yes like you're gonna be saying a lot you're gonna be whatever your project is dissertation exam whatever it might be but there's also no way you can read absolutely everything like i had to say i gotta stop because my list has 99 items on it it's got like it's not all of its books but 99 items, I could have kept going. And I'm reading even now, like, there's also, like, you have to give yourself grace of, like, okay, I'm not, I missed maybe a, a big title. And, like, I, that's something I might be able to talk about in my exams itself, in my oral exams, um, whenever I defend my exams next spring. Um, so just, like, no, it's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you, can't, you can't cover absolutely everything, but you can cover a lot about a little, a little something. Yeah, no, and I think that that always reminds me of when professors are like, this is too broad. Yes. This is too broad. You got to narrow down. Like, I think that's just part of the process of grad school in general, because you're right. Why would you, first of all, why would you want to put yourself in a position where you have to talk about everything? Yes. You don't have the time. You don't yeah. have the time. Um, so that's even more of a reason to just naturally like narrow down your areas of, of interest and your research. And so you're going to get there. And, and I think, um, everything that we've talked about, like, why is it that you like what you like just in general? Like, why is that a thing that you even are interested in and going back to that and finding comfort in the fact that you can talk about the things that you, you like, and you do have something to say about that. And I think also like, 
I recently found comfort because like Natalie, you graduate hopefully 2025 as well. Like if, right? Yeah, we'll cool. be graduating the same semester. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll probably be going on the job market like next next year. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, what I've been, I don't know, it just like as a, it, I find comfort in the idea that this could be lifelong work if I want it to. It doesn't like, if I miss something now, well, I'll just address it in like five to 10 years. Like, you know what I mean? And whatever I am doing, like, what you're doing in, in your PhD, yes, hopefully the work that you do in your PhD will help you get a job, but it's just the beginning of your career. Exactly. And that's kind of exciting yeah. and kind of cool. It's like, I can spend, if I wanted to, my whole lifetime thinking through these things and adding adding to my own knowledge and getting learning as much as possible. I don't know. That's yeah. just cool. No, and I think that it's funny because what I'm going to say is almost the exact opposite, but mm-hmm. it also applies like you also don't have to talk about this thing your entire career. You can follow other interests as well. So it's like, it's, it's a really cool thing to be able to focus and say like, this is just the beginning stages because I hope to pursue that. And if you find joy in that, that's how you know you're supposed to be doing it. But on the other end too, like I'm not really writing about, um, like there's another project that I kind of want to do about what, what does it mean to view a administrative identity as a vocation that's a whole nother project that Mm -hmm. I can do. I don't have to cover that here because that not only broadens the scope of what I'm doing, but it could just be another project. And so there, so you don't even have to focus in, this could be part of what you do, but it doesn't also have to be everything that you do. And so there's also comfort in knowing that as well. Yes. I love, I absolutely agree. Cause I have a feeling like once I'm done with this, my dissertation, my book project, whatever, I'm just, I'm going to, whatever I do next is going to be a lot different, but I'm excited about it. It like, that's just cool about life too. Like give yourself permission to change and to like enjoy new things and get hooked on new things and pursue the, the, that knowledge, whatever you want to do. So it's cool. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Any advice you want to give about just maybe narrowing down everything, narrowing down, (laughs) (laughs) summing up everything that you've said to just a couple points or anything you want to reiterate? I think just like as much because I'm again, I'm in the thick of it and like of studying and stuff like this is more advice to myself to enjoy the process as much as possible, even though it's very overwhelming. And like I already I feel an internal pressure of like I have to know everything. I My note taking process right now, I'm trying to like narrow. I'm trying to narrow it down quite a bit because I feel like I'm doing too much. But just trying to enjoy the process as much as possible, like even if it's just like romanticizing the morning you spend reading like a really hard book, like instead of approaching like the really hard book as, oh my gosh, this I, it's over my head. I don't know what's going on. Like just, I, I tell myself, oh my gosh, it's so cool that this is what I'm doing right now. Like I'm spending the morning trying to get the really like complicated, whatever, whatever the arguments are, whatever it might be. But it's like, I, I'm, I, I, ch- I chose to do this. I get to do this. Not a lot of people do this. Like, I'm just thinking a lot about stuff. And so I try to enjoy that, like really find joy in it. And then like when I go on walks and like think through things, I like really revel in. Like, I'm just like, I think it's, maybe I'm just romanticizing the life of the scholar. Maybe I am. And maybe like the life of the scholar obviously has like administrative stuff you got to do too. But it's also just super cool to think about for me. Like this could be like my life. Yeah. Writing stuff, thinking through stuff, trying to like publish stuff, teaching. I don't know. I get excited. I think I'm just getting excited about a potential future. And I think it's because you, 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 at the beginning of the PhD, it feels like almost insurmountable. It's like, oh yeah. my gosh, there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, okay, I can, I can, I can taste it a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Even though there's still a lot to do, I'm trying to find joy in that process too, because I'm never going to be in this moment again in my life. So I'm trying to ex- enjoy that. So I guess, beautiful. My advice to you is advice to myself right now. So don't get overwhelmed, Kayla. <laughs> Great advice. Thank, thank you, you so much. Just thank you so much for giving us insight into how you've developed your 
um, areas of interest and how you've kind of narrowed down and where you sort of just start going back and reflecting and thinking about how this makes up so much of who you are and what you want to say. And so just thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for letting me be on the podcast, but also sharing your story too. And I hope like every time you talk about it, like you and Dallas both like talking about y'all's like stuff, like what you're interested in, like, you know, studying and what you're doing in your research. I just love hearing that stuff. Like I get goosebumps almost every time that I oh listen gosh. to it. Yeah, I love it. So well, thank you thank for you listening. For, thank you for doing this podcast too, because this would have been so helpful for baby Kayla at the very beginning. So that's the goal to help people who are not in our position to get a better understanding of what it is that grad school can be like. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Kayla, for giving us insight. Um, And thank you for listening. If if you have any questions or any topics that you want us to cover, go ahead and email us at the PhD to be podcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on our Instagram at the PhD to be podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.